Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. Well, today is the, the first Sunday of Lent, as I said before. Lent is the 40 days before Easter, excluding Sundays. And during the season of Lent, I want to preach through John chapter 17. So we're going to read this over and over again. You're going to get a full sense of this. And in this chapter 17 of John, Jesus is praying. And he's praying for the church. He's praying for the disciples. And he's praying for us. Actually goes further and says, I'm praying for those who would come after my hope is that, that in this sermon series that, and, uh, that you will see your spiritual temperature, your passion for God rise, uh, that a hunger for God will be fostered and stimulated, that the power of God will, will be evident, that, that the presence of God will be revealed. It's my hope for you as an individual and for we as a church that, that we will be filled more with the goodness and glory and spirit of God. I've been following with interest the, not sure what to call it, a revival, awakening, a visitation of the Holy Spirit at Asbury College in Lexington, Kentucky. Started a couple of weeks ago. Defying feature of this move of the Spirit of God was a deep sense of the presence of God. People would say when we walked in there, all we sensed was a, just this deep, settled peace that God was close. And as they prayed, there was confession of sin, there was worship, there was a lot of things happening, relationships were made right, but uh, the overall sense was that God was just very, very present. And um, I was reading one professor from another college, says, I, I went there to critique, but I went into the sanctuary, and I felt like, it's, I'm not here to critique, I'm here to enter in. And, and he did into the worship. Uh, that move, that mark, that move of the Spirit of God will mark those people for the rest of their lives. I hear it spreading to other colleges and spread to Puerto Rico and places like that. When, when we were in Cuba, we went to this one service in, in St. Spiritus, and it was a really poor church. Like, I mean, uh, the size of the church wasn't much bigger than the platform here, and they crowded in. Uh, and we worshiped, but the Spirit of God was there in, in just such a, a very, very tangible way. There was a, a sense of his presence. It was unmistakable. Um, the old-timers, they used to talk about services like that as the glory coming down. The glory of God, the, the glory coming down. That's, that's a good description. Today I want to talk to you about the glory of God. John chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and he prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may, be, may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all, all, those, who have, uh, who, all those you have given him. Now, this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, 
Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. I want you to remember the context. Jesus had just completed his ministry on earth. He went around healing the sick and teaching the crowds. But more than anything, he, he poured his life into the disciples. Now, everything was about to change. And he knew it. Tomorrow, he would be crucified. If you had one last prayer to pray, what would it be? What would you pray for if you knew you were going to die and you knew your heart was right before God? What would you pray for? You'd probably pray for the things that are most important to you, your family, your friends, the things that are closest to your heart. That's what Jesus does. That's, that's what this, how this prayer unfolds. He, he prays for the things that are most important to him. And the first thing he prays for is the glory of God. God, glorify me that I may glorify you. Now, I don't know what you think of when I say the glory of God. I suspect some of you think of the Christmas story where the angels appeared and the glory of the Lord shone around them and, and lit up the place. That's a sign of the glory of God. We pray the glory when we pray the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What does, what does the glory of God mean? I suspect some of you are thinking, well, Brent... That's a nice theological topic. Totally irrelevant, but nice topic, you know. It, it ranks up on my list of interests with rutabagas, but it's, it's actually better than that. If you can grasp the, what's going on with the concept of the glory of God, a lot of things in the Christian life will fall into place for you. The Westminster Catechism says the chief end of people is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If you grasp the concept of the glory of God, the meaning of your life becomes clearer. But I'm going to need you to stay with me for the first part of this. I'm going to kind of preach the sermon like Paul writes his letters. So the, the first part of this will be, you know, here's, here's what's going on, here's the theology of it. The second part of it, this is how it affects your life. But if you're going to get the second part, you need to stay with me for the first part. So... If you're ready to go, let's go. In, in these five verses, Jesus prays glorify or bring glory five times in the five verses. And in this crucial time, in this time when he is praying his last prayer, when the important things come to the forefront, he plays glory for the glory of God to be seen. Stephen Covey said the main thing in any organization is keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus had a knack for doing that. In spite of all that had happened, all that was going to happen, keeping the main thing the main thing, the glory of God. That was the reason for his life. That was the reason for his ministry. That would be the reason for his death. And in his prayer, he prays, God, glorify yourself through me and in me. When the Bible talks about the glory of God, it uses phrase like, well, the whole earth is filled with his glory. 
you look carefully around, you can start to see the handiwork of God. The heavens declare his glory. Look up, and you can see wonders. That says something about God. When Moses spoke to God, he said, Show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. The glory of God is the revelation of God. It's God showing who he is. The glory of God opens our eyes to see who he is. The whole earth declares his glory. The heavens declare who God is. When, when God passed in front of Moses, he showed himself to be good, and he declared his name which was a further revelation of who he is. The glory of God is the display of God's fierce beauty, of his awesome character. Isaiah uses the phrase, the the glory of his majesty. And whenever the glory of God is seen, God is revealed. In fact, the way the glory is, the the way the word glory is used most in the Bible is describing Jesus. And we beheld his glory. The glory of God is is such that if it were to be taken away, God would no longer be God. See, God's glory is intrinsic to who he is. The glory of God is the essence of God. That's not so with us, right? Uh, You know, if you watch the Olympics and the athletes compete, the one who wins, wins the glory of Olympic gold or in business, or some people glory in their wealth, or their achievement, or their reputation. But all those things are not really the person themselves. Uh, you know, if you take those things from them, they're still human. But God cannot be God without his glory. And that's the reason why he's jealous of it. We must not take the glory that belongs to God. God cannot be separated from his glory because, it's the only, because it not only reveals who he is, but it is who he is. So when Moses play, prayed, show us your glory, he was praying, Lord, show me who you are. Let me, see, let me see more of you. Let me know you. That's my prayer for you, for us. Lord, show us your glory. But the reason God shows us himself is this that we can in turn glorify him. See, when we glorify God, we reflect back to him his beauty and his character. In other words, we worship him. Now come with me to the verses. Verse 1. And Jesus said this. He looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. When Jesus was walking around earth, he was extraordinary, but it would be possible to miss his divinity. The Pharisees missed that he was the very Son of God. The crowds missed that Jesus was God become human. They just saw a person who could make a lot of food out of a little. They wanted to make him king, but not worship him as God. If you met him at the town well, you may or may not have known that there was something extraordinary about this man. But Jesus prayed, the time has come. Glorify me. Reveal yourself in me. Show your character and beauty in me. And I will in turn glorify you. I will be your representation on earth. 
When people see me, they will, will know that they are seeing you. In John chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus uh, says, the Father, uh, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. God is glorified when people see Jesus for who he is. Remember, he's heading into the crucifixion. He died for our sins. He died that we might have a relationship with God, that we might know God. Verse 2. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might, that he might give eternal life to those who you have given him. The Greek links the idea of glorifying the Father to, to giving people eternal life. God is glorified when people experience eternal life. Now this is eternal life, verse 3, that they know him, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. We have eternal life when you know God and his son Jesus. God is glorified. God is worshipped when you come to know him. And this, this is a two-pronged idea. God is glorified when, when people experience eternal life for the first time, when they realize that they need God in their lives and they, they turn their life over to God. When people pray, God, I, I recognize I've been separated from you by sin, and uh, I've gone my own way, but I want you to know you. I want you in my life. Forgive me of my sin. I'm going to follow you. God is glorified when people pray prayers of faith, in faith like that. God, reveal yourself to them and reveal yourself in them. That's, that's part of the definition of what it means of glory, when people come to know him. But it also speaks of a person, it's not only who just comes to know God, but a person who knows God, um, who is from the beginning. First John speaks of you know children in the faith and they know god but it speaks of fathers in the faith and they know god jesus loves me this i know for the bible tells me so that's knowing but then it speaks of this deeper knowing you come to know who he is deep down in your heart and your soul he reveals himself to you in his spirit in your spirit and there's this deep knowing of who god is so when you, when you get to know God in a deeper way, when you grow in grace and grow in the knowledge of God, God is glorified. He is worshipped as your spiritual lives grow. He is worshipped as you progress spiritually. That's, that's why we put such an emphasis on discipleship around here. It's because it's really important that we grow spiritually because God is glorified when you grow spiritually. When you can look back at last year and say, oh, I've come a little ways in my spiritual life. I've grown in my spiritual life. That's, uh, that brings glory to God. Verse 4. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I brought glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. God is glorified when we do what we're called to do. His life up to this point had been a life that revealed who God was. It had been a life of worship. He had compassion on the crowd, so people knew that God had compassion. He spoke with authority 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So people knew that God loved the world. Jesus has been revealing who, who God, God is all through his earthly minister, ministry. Now, if Jesus was to give, have been given a, a job assessment uh, at this point, he probably wouldn't get a raise, right? See, the crowds that he had shown compassion on, the next day after this prayer, we're going to yell, crucify him, crucify him. The disciples that he had spent three years pouring his life into were going to desert him. And yet he's able to say, I, I've completed the work you gave me to do. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where it seems like my work is never done. Our lives are full of busyness and the to-do list never ending. Oh, that we'd be able to say with Jesus, I've completed the work you gave me to do. You know, there were people in Jerusalem that were left unhealed. There were people who had yet to hear his teaching. There were people who were still confused and guilt-laden. Yet Jesus said, I completed the work you gave me to do. You will not finish the task of doing good, but you can finish the task of doing the good you're called to do. God is glorified when we do what we're called to do. That's why it's so important to hear from God. God, what do you want me to do? Because if we're doing a lot of stuff we're not called to do, we get really, really tired. Verse 5. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Father, I was with you, I was with you, and all your angels, and they were circling around the throne, and, and they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I had glory there. God, before the world began, I displayed your glory. I was in very nature, God, is what John says. The glory of God defined me, but, but I took the form of a human. I emptied myself. The people around me could not handle the full display of your glory, so, so I emptied myself. But now I'm coming back to heaven. God, restore your glory again. God is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. God is glorified by people coming to eternal life and, and growing in their faith. God is fulfilled um, when we fulfill our calling. Overall, God is glorified in the person of Jesus. If you want to see who, who God is, look at Jesus. Let's sit back. Jesus has a knack of keeping the main thing the main thing. And during this final prayer, he prays, God, God, would you be glorified? Would you glorify me that I could glorify you? Something significant here for us. If glorifying God was Jesus' goal in life, if it was Jesus' dying prayer, if it was Jesus' identity, and we are to be imitators of Jesus, we do not need to adopt this as our prime directive. Our lives are to glorify God. Our lives are to reveal the beauty of God and the character of God. And when we glorify God in such a way, we are worshiping. 
our lives become lives of worship. And when we are, our lives are lives of worship, we're doing what we were created to do. We will be being what we were created to be. For you and I, we were made in the image of God. We were made to reflect him. We were made to be God's prime revelation to the world. We're to mirror God's character. You know, though, that sin caused that mirror to be broken. It's no wonder that people struggle with the meaning of life. We're meant to be reflections of God. We're meant to be an image of God. But we lost all that. But we gain a good measure back when we set ourselves on a course to glorify God by who we are and what we do. When we become worshipers with our lives. I hope in this Lenten season that you'll be inspired to become worshipers. That you'll orient your life to glorify God. You'll reflect God better. God is glorified when people see Jesus for who he is. God is glorified when people experience eternal life for the first time. God's glorified when our spiritual lives grow. God, God is glorified when, when we do what we're called to do. God's glorified in the person of Jesus Christ. God's glorified when we follow the example of Christ, where we glorify, worship God. How does that affect you? Well, you can see what a life of worship means. How does that affect us? You see what we're called to be. You'll often hear me praying that over a dozen people will come to know the Lord this year through your ministry at Asbury. Why? Because each time a person comes to faith, God's glorified. Over this Lenten season, I'd encourage you to pray for people who don't know Jesus. My prayer for you and myself is that we would know him who is from the beginning. That there would be this deep, settled knowing of who God is. That, it's, that our spiritual lives would go way below the surface. And it would affect how we live and how we act. My prayer is that you and I would know what we're called to do and, and that we do it. That includes your work. That includes what we do as a church. See, there's a lot of good things that we could be doing, but you're only called to do a few of them. God is glorified when we do what we're called to do. My prayer is that you'll know your calling and be obedient to it. I really believe that if a number of you caught a hold of God's vision for your life, if you could see his plan and his purpose, it would significantly change your view of yourself and others. See, God not only had a plan for you in your 20s, or in your 30s, or in your 40s, God has a plan for you wherever you are right now. I believe that if we catch this as a church, that it'll impact how we live in our town. My prayer is that you would know your calling. The primary way that God reveals himself is through his son. So my prayer that over the next little while we'll catch this fresh glimpse of Jesus, that we'll see who Jesus really is.
that will love him deeply. My prayer is that, is that he'll, he will show himself and show up when we worship. That you'll have a sense of his presence, not only by faith, but you'll just know that you're in the presence of God. Westminster Catechism had it right. Chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I suggest that maybe you might change that to the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Will you embark on the spiritual adventure of glorifying God in your life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, on the night before you were betrayed, you prayed. And you kept the main thing, the main thing. Help us to keep the main thing, the glory of God, worshiping you, the main thing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.